0: For a thousand years, his coming was foretold. Prophecy, expectation, waiting, and longing, and then finally he appeared. In Luke 4, he is anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, and recovery of sight for the blind. He came to seek and save the lost, and he shared his mission with his disciples. He taught in parables, and he worked in great power. He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, forgave the sinner, welcomed the outcast, and loved the unlovely. He died on a Roman cross and was resurrected into glorious life on the third day. He appeared to his disciples before ascending to heaven, where he sat down at the right hand of the Father, but he did not leave his disciples as orphans. He gave them the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, God himself, to dwell inside every believer. And then he commissioned them, go tell the world this news worth sharing. And so the church was born to carry on his work, to witness and to worship to his name. And so now every one of us who has put our faith in the name of Jesus has Zoe, life. Life eternal, life abundant, And life overflowing. In the name of Jesus, we live in Resurrection Sunday with life and light and hope and peace and joy and fullness and purpose on Resurrection Sunday. But then Monday morning comes. Monday morning, you receive and you believe in this gospel that literally sees dead people come back to life. And then you wake up Monday morning, your second day of being a Christian, and you realize life is hard, life is not easy. The gospel could be transformational, but even if you love your job, you wake up Monday morning and it's like, okay, here we are again, back another week. How could this gospel, which resurrects dead people and heals the lepers and cleanses people and forgives sin, be so hard, have so much suffering and persecution and weakness, I've just given you a whirlwind tour through the past seven weeks of our sermon series. We're looking at the book of Luke and Acts. We've followed the story of the gospel from Jesus' coming, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the birth of the church, and now we have to have a week talking about the persecution of the church. It's a part of the story. So the title of this message is A Cross to Bear, parentheses, Monday morning. That's my bit. (laughs) A Cross to Bear Monday morning. Wouldn't it be far easier if the gospel saved us from our place of sin and death into a wealthy, healthy, happy life where we float three inches above the ground with a halo around our head, we never get sick, we always feel 10 out of 10, our friends love us, nothing bad ever happens. Wouldn't that be like kind of pretty good? But instead, we're saved into a life that involves suffering and pain and persecution. But Why? Why does it have to be that way? Why is it so hard? Monday morning faith is tough. Even in the light of Resurrection Sunday, there is a Monday morning that comes, and we live in that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have things you want to teach us. I just pray that I would get out of the way and you would speak clearly to us from your word. Would you make manifest in me your Holy Spirit uh, in Jesus' name, amen. The story of Saul's conversion and then his life as the Apostle Paul I think is a perfect case study in the reality of suffering in the life of the Christian. We're doing a bit of a tag team, Serena and I. So she read part one of the story, which is Jesus appearing to Saul. And then I'll read part two of what happens after that. So we read from Acts 9. If you have a Bible, I recommend you open it. Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision "'Ananias, yes, Lord,' he answered. "'The Lord told him, "'Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street "'and ask for a man named Tarsus, "'a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. "'In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come "'and place his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I've heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he has done "'to your holy people in Jerusalem.' And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it placing his hands on Saul, he said, "'Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, "'who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, "'has sent me so that you may see again "'and be filled with the Holy Spirit.'" Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength, and from that day on, Paul lived a perfect life. He never suffered, he never had any pain, and he rode into heaven on a white chariot. No, that's not what happened. Verse 16 says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I wonder if Paul knew what he was signing up for. I don't think Ananias would say, hey, Saul, you're the guy who's killing people. I'm Ananias. I'm here to lay my hands on you. you receive the Spirit. You'll receive your sight. By the way, Jesus told me you're going to suffer a lot. You're going to get really, really, really uh, persecuted and suffered for the faith. Do you want to sign on to Christianity? Like, let's go. I don't think he would have done that. I don't think he knew what he was signing up for. No, correction. I think he did know what he was signing up for. I just contradicted myself. Recently, one of my debit cards expired, like the expiry date passed. And it's actually a very good thing because I get all these emails saying, this subscription has a billing error, and so I realize how many subscriptions I have that I'm not actually using. So I've been going through and canceling some of them, which I'm actually not using anymore. But one particular subscription has been quite hard to cancel. It's for this software that I... Occasionally used for church or personal stuff, and I got it probably seven months ago. And at the time, I thought I was signing up for a monthly plan. It said monthly, and I was paying a month-by-month thing. So then I get an email saying you have to update your credit card because it's the the expiry date has passed. And I'm like, oh, okay, I probably don't need this software anymore, so I'll cancel it. So I log on to the website, do the you know jump through all the little loops and tricky stuff. They make it really hard to cancel your subscription. I go to press cancel and it says, you will incur a one-time cancellation fee of like $30. And I'm thinking, I signed on for the month by month so that I could cancel at any time. And then I read the fine print and it was an annual plan billed monthly. So I saw the word monthly thinking that I could pull out at any time. But when I signed on, I signed on for a whole year of this software and now I'm stuck paying month to month unless I pay the cancellation fee. Whoops. So I figured, I have about five months left of the software, so I'm just going to use it heaps for five months and then cancel it, and we'll be right. I didn't know what I signed up for, but I think Paul does know what he signed up for. I correct my earlier statement. Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul has been shown how much he will suffer for the name of Jesus. He has an amazing conversion story and an amazing just life story, the Apostle Paul. But he had a life full of suffering, persecution, and weakness. 2 Corinthians 11 is the most full picture that Paul gives us of the sufferings he went through. This is from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul speaking. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul has experienced the full gamut of life. He's had some high highs He's seen God do amazing things, but he has had some low, 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 low lows. He has suffered a lot. And I don't want to pretend to know the lessons that he learned in those valleys, because from this perspective of my life, I feel like I'm looking down a corridor of my life, and I don't know how long it is, but the Lord knows all the days ordained for me. And I wonder, what will I learn in that valley, and that valley, and that valley, and what will that mountain teach me, and what will that valley teach me? But at this point in my life, I don't know those things, and I don't know the lessons that Paul learnt. But in 2004, a guy named Richard Rohr wrote a book where he suggested that there are five hard truths which life will teach you through suffering and through pain. Life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control, and you are going to die. Oofed. These truths, if they're correct, he was a psychologist, uh, kind of smart guy, so I'll take it from him. If these truths are correct, then these are the hard stones that the storms of life cast you upon. When everything's not going your way and unimaginable suffering happens, you fall onto these stones and you find out life is hard, you are not that important, your life is not about you, you're not in control, and you are going to die. These are the lessons that life teaches us. Paul learnt these things. In shipwrecks, in stonings, in suffering, in hunger, in pain, in every trial, Paul learnt life is hard. You're not that important. Your life is not about you. You're not in control, and you are going to die. But in that deepest place of suffering, the deepest valley that Paul found himself in, he learnt something else. Jesus said to him, My grace is... Is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's two Corinthians twelve nine. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The gospel doesn't cruise at thirty thousand feet, disconnected and ignorant of the realities of life, as though it doesn't exist. The gospel follows us wherever we go, through the deepest valleys, even through the valley of the shadow of death, and it follows us as we're on the highest heights. But the gospel follows where we are, and the transformative power of the gospel penetrates even to the deepest sorrow. And in that time, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, it is enough for you. When you don't have anything else, it is enough. For you in that place. And so there is a place for dancing and jumping and clapping, but the gospel isn't all that. It is that, but there's also a place for sorrow, and the gospel meets you in that place. And Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, yes, life is hard, but His grace is sufficient. Yes, You are not that important, but His grace is sufficient. Yes, your life is not about you, but His grace is sufficient. Yes, you are not in control, but His grace is sufficient. And yes, you are going to die, but His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. When you are weak, He is strong. I asked at the start of this message, why the Christian life has to involve a cross to bear, why it has to have suffering and persecution and weakness. And I think this is the, the nugget that answers that question. When you are weak, God is strong. In your weakness, he is strong. And I think God has woven this truth into the fabric of the universe that when we are weak, God is strong. Jesus came in, in, the, in the, the book of and, Luke and Acts He brings the kingdom of God to earth. And Luke makes a point to say it's an upside down kingdom. You read the book of Luke and you think um, there'll be a story and you you have an expectation of what's going to happen and Luke very often flips it. Jesus flips it and Luke mirrors that. So Jesus comes to a rich person. You think that they have inherited the kingdom but he flips it. He says if you're rich you can't inherit the kingdom. But the one who is the sinner, the lowly outcast, they get to receive the kingdom. Jesus is flipping The kingdom upside down. And so, when it comes to weakness, when you are weak in the kingdom, it's upside down, and God is strong in your weakness. God's absolute strength doesn't um, increase. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. But his power is more clearly evident when we are weak than when we are strong. He doesn't get more strong, but he shows his power to us more when we come to that place of suffering. Actually, I think when, I don't think we walk to that place of suffering. I think we're carried, kicking and screaming and thrown on the rocks, and we learn these hard truths, and we learn when you are weak, he is strong. That is the kingdom. Ken Duncan once said this to me. Well, it was to a congregation, but I was in the congregation, so he said it to me. He said, and I'll get a show of hands, hands up if you want to see, Mike's already there, hands up if you want to see God do a miracle. Every hand. Keep your hand up if you want to put yourself in a place where you need a miracle to happen. Okay, you're better people than me. I took my hand down. We want to see God move in power. I want to see him move in power in my life, kicking down the walls that I put up. I want to see him move in this church amongst us, move in this suburb, this city, this country, move in the Ukraine, move in famine-affected areas and in this broken world. We want to see God move, but the pattern of the kingdom is that unless we are weak and on our knees, he is not strong. But when we are weak, God is strong. And so he's asking us to come to our knees before him. And so... If you are in the middle of suffering right now and you're learning the hard way these five truths about life, and maybe you didn't even feel like coming to church today or you're online because you couldn't bear to be in person, I don't, the last thing I want to do is minimize anything you're going through. And so I'm treading very carefully, but to say it is true that when you're weak, God is strong. He is strong in your weakness. So look around and maybe He's working something in your life. But if the opposite is true, if work's going well, you're healthy, you got the promotion, you feel like you're killing it, you don't have to really try that hard to perform really well, you have a bit of a skip in your step, life's going really well and your self-confidence is building, careful, watch out. His power is not made perfect when you are perfect and strong. His power is made perfect in your weakness. So as you feel You're sort of walking over to this side feeling like you and the Lord are like side by side doing amazing things. Watch out. Watch out. Jesus says in the kingdom, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. The truth is life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You're not in control and you're gonna die. But in your weakness, God can do amazing things if we come to him on our knees before him. And so I say to you, fight the, self, the building self-confidence that comes with, with life. As you do stuff, you get better at it. Fight it. Keep yourself on your knees, or the Lord might put you there on your knees, and it will hurt a little bit more. Would you like to stand? I'd love to read out this passage from Isaiah 43 as we close as a blessing over us. And the band can come up. Isaiah 43, but now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So if you're in weakness, know that his power is perfect in your situation right now. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that You have all the power in the world. You are the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. You reign over this whole world. And we're sorry for the times when we feel like we can do it ourselves too much and we exalt ourselves. But Lord, we know that even our strength is weakness to you. But in our weakness, you are strong. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. That even though life is hard, when you are with us, we can go through anything. When we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. We thank you that even though we are not important, your glory is the supreme concern of our heart. And we want to lift you up. And life is not about us, but it is about you. And we are not in control, Lord, but you are in every situation. And we are going to die, but in Christ we will live forever. And so we just surrender. We surrender every piece of striving and self-ambition and self-confidence that we have before you. And we say, when we are weak, you are strong. So would you make your strength in our lives manifest, in the name of Jesus. Amen.